Thank you, Dorothy. So this morning, we are continuing our series on the biblical outsiders. And before we get into the particular passage this morning, this is our third in that series, I want to remind us of who we've talked about in terms of outsiders already and and sort of frame that. But then I also have a, a question for you as well. So be preparing your mind for a tricky and difficult question from your pastor. Well, no, it's not really tricky or difficult, but anyways, just think about that. Um, So, reminder, the first outsiders we talked about were who? Adam and Eve. Yes, absolutely, Adam and Eve. And they were outsiders because they made themselves outsiders from God by their rebellion against him, by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result of that, they not only were facing death eventually, they were booted out of the Garden of Eden for their own protection to keep them from eating of the tree of life and living forever in their miserable state. But then also they were outsiders from, from the very creation at itself as in there was going to be difficulty in in gleaning crops or growing crops, and it was going to be difficult to get harvest from the ground, and it was going to be difficult to bear children, and it was going to be a a complicated relationship between men and women, and, and so on and so forth. Lots of fallout from that, lots of consequences of their rebellion, right? And, and so this is what we talked about with Adam and Eve, but then we also talked about the reality, of course, that God didn't leave it there. God didn't immediately have them die, first of all. He allowed them to carry on. But second of all, He promised that through the, the offspring of Eve, salvation would come to the human race. That that. Through Eve, the offspring would crush the head of the serpent that had tempted them in the first place. And so we see that God deals with the outsider who has consciously and rebelliously taken themselves away from God. God deals with that outsider with mercy and love and promise. Who is the second outsider that we looked at? Noah. Yeah, Noah. Now, Noah was a different kind of outsider. Noah was not an outsider from God. In fact, quite the opposite. Noah was known to be a righteous person in a very, very wicked age. Now, notice that I say righteous, not perfect. Okay? Noah was not a perfect person. In fact, There is only one person in the biblical narrative, human person that is, who was perfect, and that's Jesus. And uh, so we remember that Noah was not perfect, but he did love God. He was obedient to God. He did follow God, and that made him an outsider in a society that was profoundly wicked. And and as a result of of Noah's outsiderishness, Noah is rewarded with a huge, great task to build this gargantuan ark. 
and to take on all the animals and, and care for them. And as a result of that as well, Noah and his family are saved. Right? Now, so we see that, again, the results of being an outsider, interestingly enough, just like with Adam and Eve, even though the reasons for the outsiderishness are different, the results are God offering mercy and love and salvation for those who will receive it. Right? Today, we are going to talk about Hagar. Hagar. Now, Hagar, if you remember, Hagar was a maidservant to Sarai, Sarah, Abram's wife. And uh, she, she was made an outsider for still a different reason. Not because she rebelled against God and not because she was so righteous compared to the people of a wicked era, but for a different reason altogether. So if you will turn with me or follow along on the screen. Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1. We won't read the entire story of Hagar, but we will will read a a chunk of it in the beginning. Um, And uh, I would recommend and encourage you to read the rest of the story as well. Hagar and Ishmael. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, uh, had borne him no children. This is, of course, just a little bit of context, of course. Sarai and Sarah are the same person. God renames Sarah. um, And same with Abram and Abraham. They're the same person. And then secondly, we need to remember that God had promised Abraham, Abram, that he would be uh, the father of a great nation and that his children would outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And yet, there's a problem, of course, because they've got no children. Okay? So, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. That's an interesting little reversal, isn't it? Right? Um, later on, we hear about the Egyptians enslaving the Israelites, but here we have an Egyptian slave uh, in the employ of an Israelite. Anyways, um, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, we need to pause. I, I, I know this is interesting. This is a preaching thing. Some of you really like it when I sort of explain the passage as we go through it. And some of you would rather that I read the whole passage and then talk about it afterwards. I can't please both of you, so this is what you got. So, anyways. So, um, so in, the, in the biblical text, as I mentioned before, it is really important to pay attention not only to what is in the text, but also what is not in the text. Sometimes we can have a tendency to sort of assume that God approves of things if God doesn't officially, explicitly say, this is a bad idea. 
right? We should not make that assumption. Nowhere in this passage does God say, hey, good idea, right? Uh, in fact, uh, you know, some of the outcomes would indicate that, mm, yeah, not a great idea, right? But God is merciful and great and good anyways. Secondly, we have to remember that our context is not their context, right? First of all, if I had a slave, that would not be good, right? Then it was quite normal, right? It doesn't mean it was ever good, but it was really normal, okay? Second of all, if, if my wife had a slave and she gave me her slave to sleep with, ugh, Right? Okay, we're talking whole levels of, yeah, right? For us. For them, it was quite a normal thing. It was, in fact, written into marriage contracts of the time that if the wife, and, and we'll talk about this in a moment uh, too, if the wife was unable to produce an heir for the husband, then this was a legitimate way of getting an heir. This was okay. And <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is an example of the patriarchy of the society at the time. It was assumed always, in all cases, that if the woman couldn't get pregnant, that it was the woman's fault. Right, So um, they had an interesting conception of how conception happened. Um, and, uh, and as a result of that, they sort of believed that always, if there was infertility, it was the woman's fault. Right? This is why Sarai says um, that God has not given her a child. Right? It, it's not, she knows that it's, she knows that it's something wrong with her. Uh, now, in this case, when um, Hagar is able to conceive, that might lead to the conclusion that there's some legitimacy to that. But we know, of course, that that is not by any means a universal thing. So, don't judge them too much based on the weirdness of their moral choices according to our framework, first of all. But second of all, don't assume that what they do is approved by God either just because God doesn't explicitly say something about it one way or another, okay? So, uh, so she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, right? She um, felt like, hey, look, God has given me a child, you schmuck, right? Clearly God loves me better than you and maybe I should be in place of you, right? Something like that. Anyways, Sarai, as you can imagine, is not thrilled. 
Then, verse 5, Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Does this sound familiar? Right? Um, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Right? And, uh, and now, you know, Sarai gives Abram her slave and now blames Abram for what's happening. Uh, and, you know, Hagar bla- says, despises her mistress. Anyways, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows that she is, uh, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And and uh, and Abram says, "Your slave is in your hands." Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from home, from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? That sounds familiar too. Sounds a little bit like God looking for Adam and Eve in the garden after their sin. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility Toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It is still there between Kadesh and Barrett. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. The word of the Lord. Amen. So you can see how Hagar's um, outsider-ness comes from a bit of a different place than either Noah or Abraham or Adam and Eve, excuse me, right? Um, now, to be fair, Hagar didn't exactly do herself some favors um, in, in that when she you know, became pregnant, she started treating Sarai badly and as a consequence ended up being treated badly herself. But nonetheless, it is not particularly because of her uh, sinfulness 
or rebellion, nor is it because she was so much more righteous than Abram and Sarai. It is because of circumstances largely that happened to her that she ended up being an outsider. Now this is interesting because it brings up the question I was going to ask you earlier. A few weeks ago when we started this series, I asked you, have you ever felt like an outsider? And if so, when and how and and what did that look like? And, And in fact, one of you shared online on Facebook that the time that they felt like they had become an outsider. They shared about how growing up, uh, you know, from the start of school until about grade six, they had uh, a a lot of friends and they felt well-loved and part of that community. And then suddenly in grade seven, one of their influential friends told the other friends to stop talking to her. And as a result, um, this person felt quite alone and, and like an outsider for at least a chunk of grade seven. Now, mind you, her mother had some good advice and said, no, never, never mind those people and find yourself some other friends. And so they did, and they survived. But part of the purpose of this journey is to remind ourselves that we all have been outsiders in some way at some time And part of the purpose of reminding ourselves of that is to remind ourselves of how we need to be empathetic and sympathetic to those in this world who are outsiders, people who perhaps don't seem to belong. Of course, part of the exercise is also to see how God treats the outsiders and therefore how we ought to treat the outsiders. So, can any of you remember, have you thought about how you have felt like an outsider? Perhaps similar to Hagar, you were just ostracized by your friends or by society. You weren't liked for whatever reason. Or, or maybe, maybe like Noah, <laughs> Cole, shared, Cole shared about his t-shirt that he wore. What was, what was on his t-shirt? Something about... Jesus or whatever. Oh yeah, behold, I send you out like a sheep among wolves. He wore that t-shirt on his first day of grade nine and it maybe didn't do him any favors in the popularity sort of situation, but it was okay, right? Maybe, maybe a little bit like Noah, you were ostracized because you really wanted to follow God. Or maybe, like Adam and Eve, you felt like you were cut off from God because you had rebelled against Him. How have you felt like an outsider? Honest question. Anybody? Is that a hand? (laughs) Don't put your hand up. (laughs) Yeah, Willie. For sure. You know, I I think in a way, 
it should not be controversial in a way. Uh, so recently, of course, over the last couple of years, Willie was sharing, there has been a fairly significant divide in our culture between those who uh, would take vaccines, did take vaccines, and those who would not, particularly for COVID, but perhaps other things as well. And this is a way in which our society has what they call polarized and has made it so that some people are outsiders and other people are insiders depending on your viewpoint, right? It was, it was bad enough. Hopefully it's not as bad now, but I'm sure it flares up and it may be really bad some places. It was bad enough that some people would not be willing to be with other people, but not only would they not be willing to be with other people, they would often you know, chastise or castigate people who were choosing differently than they did. People who chose not to have the vaccine would be like, well, where is your faith? Don't you trust God is going to take care of you and so on and so forth? And other people who were taking the vaccine would say, well, don't you care about society? And don't you care about those who are weaker in health and all kinds of terrible things on either side? And so we made outsiders of each other. And Willie was sharing that she felt sometimes like a bit of an outsider. Not necessarily here, but yeah, yeah. And that's, that's difficult, for sure. Anyone else? Yeah, Randy. Yeah, it's sort of similar to like when we were talking about Noah, you know, being asked that particular question. You know, and as a teenager, I was all wrong, still really tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you haven't shrunk that much, Randy. <laughs> Yeah. So Randy shared that, you know, grow, growing up, um, you know, he, he was he was tall and he's still tall. Uh, he was tall and somewhat awkward and, and felt like he spoke strangely or whatever. Uh, but he says to his students who are art students uh, that he is grateful for that experience uh, because many of the art students that he teaches also have felt like outsiders and he can empathize with them and come alongside them. And, and truth be told, I have often thought, and maybe this, this is because I felt like I didn't belong as a teenager or whatever, I have often thought that actually it's kind of a curse if, if, if you're the super popular one whom everybody loves and so on and so forth. Like, that's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Anyways, that's just my opinion. Anybody else? Interestingly, I was made to feel like an outsider within my Christian high school because I was the only Baptist kid in an entirely CRC high school. And even in my grade 11 religion class, my wonderful uh, Bible teacher on purpose put me in several different discussion groups 
where we would be talking about things where my viewpoint would be in stark contrast <laughs> yeah. to what my client would automatically assume was what the Bible said. Uh -huh. And he did it because he wanted me to grow and stretch, and I thought he was just being really jerky pants. Yeah, <laughs> and, and truth be told, he probably also wanted those students to be challenged by you. So Gwyneth shared about how <laughs> growing up amongst a bunch of Christian Reformed Dutchies uh, made her feel, especially in high school, uh, somewhat uh, outsider-ish uh, when it came to faith-related matters, uh, being the only Baptist in the school, um, and, and, and how uh, our Bible teacher, Mr. Harmon Vandermeulen, would often... Um, <clears throat> would often um, put her in a place where she, and she was, I'll tell you this because I know, she was pretty passionate about these things and so she would fight, she, she would fight against these Christian reform people and she'd be like, like one of the things that ticked her off no end was that a lot of Christian reformed kids at the time would start pulling out the Heidelberg Catechism when they wanted to defend stuff and she's like, don't talk about that, talk about the Bible, what does the Bible say? Which is legit, because the Bible trumps the Heidelberg Catechism, got to tell you. Anyways, so yeah, she was put in the place of being awkward and feeling outside there. And it, it was, in a way, not that the Christian Reform kids were necessarily unfaithful or wicked like the people of Noah, although they did make some interesting choices, but um, she was put in the place where her faith um, put her as a bit of an outsider in some ways. Yeah. So this term, well, I call it disruptor strike. When they all, I had one member of the family who was a truck driver and right in there. Okay. And another member of the family uh, worked with the law, so his job was to go in and Right. Oh, goodness. You kind of had to pull yourself away a little bit. And, and I feel like that is something that we do to each other often these days, too. Um, you were mentioning that, that she ha uh, you have a family member who was you know, sort of in favor of and involved in the whole um, freedom convoy trucker thing. Um, and then another member of the family who was law enforcement and who was coming from a different viewpoint um, and how <laughs> kind of they were pulling at you, if I understand correctly, um, to kind of take sides in a way, right? And you felt you had to make yourself an outsider, um, both for your own protection, I'm assuming, but also to not alienate people whom you loved, right? And, and this is something that we do to each other too. We sometimes want to force people to take our side um, in a way. And, and this can happen in things like um, you know, political movements and so on and so forth, but it, it can also happen when we get into um, divorces and, and fights between family members on various issues and so on and so forth. We've all been outsiders at some point or another. And Hagar has it pretty bad. 
Like I said, it's not entirely that she is completely innocent here. I mean, she does start treating Sarai pretty badly, but it's not entirely her fault either. But regardless, what does God do for her? What does he do for her? Well, the first thing he does is he sees her. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? He doesn't just leave her. Now, now, it's not true that everybody who runs away from a bad situation is going to hear the voice of the Lord audibly saying to them, you know, Joe, where are you going? Where have you come from? But it is true that our God is a God who walks alongside the outsiders. A God who sees people in their hurt, who sees people in their loneliness, who sees people as they flee from a bad situation. He walks alongside them. He asks her this question, where have you come from? Where are you going? Not because he doesn't know the answer in the same way that he knew the answer of where Adam and Eve were in the garden when he asked them that. But In the same way, he asked them to see and to allow her to share what she is going through and what's going on. And and so she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord told her, and this is interesting, this is the second thing he does. He says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, go back and I'm going to make Sarai treat you better. He doesn't say, go back and everything will be as smooth as butter. He doesn't say it's all going to be easy and fine. He does not say that. He just says, go back. And then he includes a different promise. Not the promise that things will be okay or that they'll be easy, but a promise that is huge nonetheless. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Sound familiar? Who else receives that promise? Abraham. Abram receives that promise. Right? And through Abraham, Sarai also receives that promise. Right? God says to Hagar, hey, look, I know that part of this is, is about your kid, your kid Ishmael, with whom you are pregnant right now. I know that you are running away not only because Sarai is treating you badly, but maybe also because you don't know what this lady who is treating you badly will do if, if she ever gets a hold of my kid and she has her own kids. What's going to happen if Sarai has children of her own 
and I have a kid, and all I am is the slave of Sarai. What happens to my kid? If things are this bad now, what will they be like then? But the angel says to her, I will increase your descendants so much that they, so that they are too numerous to count. In, in other words, I will extend my promise to Abraham to you. That you too will become a great nation. Not a nation without trouble, but you will be a great nation. The angel added, the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild... Uh, and, and as far as blessings go, I'm not sure that I would want this for my kid, but this is the blessing that Ishmael gets. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Now, here, you got to remember... This is a little bit like what we talked about in terms of the consequences that Adam and Eve received from their rebellion, right? Some of the things, we have often said that they were curses that God imposed upon them when perhaps instead they would be better understood as consequences that God described for them of their actions. Right? So too here, God is not saying, hey, you know what? This will be fun. This will be really good. I'm going to bless your kid as the wild donkey whose hands are against everyone and, who's, and who has everyone's hands against him. No, this is more of a description just of who this kid is going to be and who his descendants will be. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Ha <laughs> What a great name for God. The God who sees me. Right? In your lonely places, in your places where you are an outsider, in your places where you are fleeing from something bad, perhaps into something completely unknown. And, and not only for you, but also for all of those, those around us. God sees you. God sees into your very soul. God sees all of you. God sees you beginning to end. God saw you before the world was created. God sees you after everything is done. God sees you. This is, this is the God who knows us. When, when Paul talks about how then we will see face to face, then we will know even as we are known, this is the God who knows us. I have now seen, she says, the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. I don't know whether it's still there. I, I'd have, I didn't look that up. I'm sorry. 
So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. She had born, excuse me. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember several things. We need to remember, first of all, the grace that God is consistently showing to the outsiders, regardless for the reasons of why they are outsiders. Right? Not... Not that God simply dismisses what they have done that was wrong, right? We see that with Adam and Eve. We we see that even with Noah and the consequences of some of his sin later on. We we see that with, with Hagar. She doesn't just walk away with everything right as rain and smooth like butter, right? There are things that happen because of the actions that we take. And God doesn't force these people into being made right with himself or with each other either. God doesn't force Hagar and Sarai to make up and be friends. God doesn't force Adam and Eve to repent. God doesn't force Noah to build the ark. But God God offers them Grace. God offers the outsiders grace. Which means that God offers you and I grace. Which means that God offers everybody who has ever been an outsider, which is everybody, grace as well. There is no one to whom grace has not or will not be offered. There is no one so beyond belonging to God that they don't get offered grace on some level at some point. So we need to remember that and receive that for ourselves. That in spite of our outsiderishness, despite of how we have rebelled, despite of how society may have rejected us, despite of the unwise things we may have done, despite of whatever it is, God offers us grace. But then we need to also remember that that is true not only for us. We're not just we're, we're not special because we're sitting here in church up Sunday. Right? We're not special because of that. God offers that same grace to everybody else. And because of that, we need to remember to treat the outsider, both within the church and literally outside of the church, with the same kind of grace. That is what Jesus did. Right? That's the ultimate point of all this. It is what God does throughout the scriptures with regards to the outsiders in all of these little stories ultimately points to what Jesus does for all of us. So on this Thanksgiving, on this Thanksgiving weekend, let us remember not only that we were all outsiders, 
and that everyone else has been or is an outsider, but also that the grace of God is offered to us and to all who will receive. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the story of Hagar and Sarai and Abram and Ishmael. Not that it is an easy story necessarily, O God, but rather that it is true. In all of our discomfort and awkwardness with this story, we can see within it our own outsiderness. We can see within it the outsiderness of others. And we can see how you are the God who sees us. Father, may, may we, in your name, through the power of your Son and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, may we see others in this same way. May we extend through Jesus and in his name grace and love and welcome and belonging to all who will receive Lord God, may we not flee from the difficult tasks that you send our way, but may we embrace belonging with you over over ease or simplicity or even safety so that all may see your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing as our...